So uh, I'll still, I'll never forget my first game. So in college, it, it's, it's not a bad thing, but it's almost like every at bat means life or death. If there's a guy on second and there's nobody out, you, you better get that guy to third base. And in pro- professional baseball, you need to get that guy to third base too. But uh, my first professional swing, it was a slider in the dirt and I swung through it and I wasn't even close to the ball. And I hear from the dugout, my hitting coach, Andy LaRoche, and he just goes, a boy, way to get your hacks off. And I remember thinking, like, wait, he's okay with me swinging and missing at a ball in the dirt? And I, he's not mad at me for swinging at a ball? And I just, from that moment on, I was like, man, so they just want me to, like, like the goal here is to hit the ball hard and do the job. Like, that's it. It's not, it's not anything else. It's go up there, get your hacks off, do your job, and hit the ball hard. Anyway, we'll just go ahead and get started. Welcome to the Prospect Dugout Podcast. Uh, I am your host, Joel Hartman. You can follow me on Instagram at hardy02. Uh, 2020 has been off to a wild start with everything that's going on in the world. Um, We're trying to adapt to everything. Um, We're starting a mastermind class tonight. Uh, We're starting with high-level hitting. We're joined by Calix Crab. He is the current assistant assistant hitting coach for the Texas Rangers at the big league level. Uh, I'm going to be moderating um, the event. My business partner, Craig Maddox, is going to be joining and co-hosting with me. He is a hitting coach in the Giants minor league organization. So it's basically we're just going to have a guest panel each week featuring, you know, new pro coaches, new pro players. We're just going to talk about baseball. This week we're talking about hitting. Um, We're opening up to our audience. So if anybody wants to join in on the conversation, sit in the Zoom call and type in the chat. You can go ahead to prospectdugout.tv and request your ticket. Um, it's a free broadcast, so, I mean, just, just come and hang out. Um, like I said, this is episode five of the Prospect Dugout podcast, and I'm joined by Vinny Pasquantino. He is a large first baseman in the Kansas City Royals organization. Uh, he was drafted in the 11th round out of Old Dominion University last year. Um, and from what I can tell, you made an immediate impact when you got to the rookie league level. Um, you hit 302 your junior year at Old Dominion, 16 home runs in 56 games, and then you stayed hot as soon as you got to Burlington, right, Burlington? And, and you batted 294 in 57 games with 14 home runs, 17 doubles, and a 963 OPS. That's, that's amazing, your, your first professional season. Um, so, Vinny, you're from Richmond, Virginia. Welcome to the Prospect Dugout podcast. Um, just give everybody a, a quick rundown of you, um, basically going from high school life to college life, and then professional life versus college life. So I'm from Richmond, Virginia, like you said. Uh, I went to James River High School in Richmond. It's a pretty good baseball school. Some would say there's a good amount of people that have come from that high school that are now playing professionally or went on to play in college. Um, went to Old Dominion in Virginia. It's in Norfolk. It's where I'm at right now. Uh, I played here for three years. This year I got drafted, had a pretty good career at ODU, and then made the made the next step to, you know, f- try to live out my dream of playing professional baseball. And I got to do it last summer. Hopefully I'll get to do it again this summer. Um, and if not this summer, hopefully next summer, uh, when whenever we're back out playing baseball again. So, I mean, that's pretty much it. It was just a – I wouldn't say – like, it was a pretty good road for me to take, going to a good high school, to a really good college, to playing in a really, you know, a really good organization for the Kansas City Royals. 
It's awesome, man. So you're eleventh round draft pick. Um, <clears throat> that you're you're at a high level D one, uh, high level D one conference. So you're playing against good guys. But what was the transition like when you went over to Pro Bowl? I mean, you you jumped right in. Your stats, you know, kept consistent from you know D one right to rookie ball. So kind of what, what was what was the um, what, what was that transition like? So I think what helped me is my mindset didn't really change. Other things changed, but my mindset didn't change. And my mindset is every time I go up to go up to hit, I want to have a quality at bat and I want to put pressure on the pitcher and the defense. So the way that I feel that I can do that is by hitting the ball hard. So every time I try to go up there, I mean, it sounds cliche, it sounds easy, but all I want to do is hit the ball hard. I don't really care where it goes because if I hit it hard, it's going to go somewhere. So the biggest transition is just physically, because mentally, if you're strong enough, you're going to be able to transition. And if you're not strong enough that first year, then you figure it out. And that's when the adjustments are made. So physically, it's all about, you know, you're playing against younger guys now, which is kind of weird. You, you go through college and you're playing guys the same age as you, a little bit older than you. And then you go to rookie ball and now there's 18 year old kids who don't speak English or, you know, there's the 19 year old high school kid that just got drafted. And it's, it's a real interesting mix of people because as you go up, at least from what I've heard, you know, guys are more in tune to the organization. They know what's going on. Everything more has a, has a rhythm and routine to it. While when you're in rookie ball, it's a, it's a mix and match of different people who don't really know each other too. You're, we, were, we got sent straight from the draft to Arizona to the spring training complex where we were at for a week. And then next thing you know, we're in Burlington, North Carolina with a group of guys that we just met the week before. So it was all about just learning, learning what you do every day. Cause it's completely different of the college season where you're playing four to five days. Now you're playing six to seven days a week and you don't have to go to class. Like your focus is what you're doing on the field. So that's, that's the biggest change was just physically being able to realize what it takes to be ready to play six to seven times a week. And that's crazy. That's, that's good perspective. You know, thinking of it like that, you're, you're going from, basically you've been with the same guys for three years and now all of a sudden you're being thrown into the mix, not just of new guys, but different levels, different cultures, different, you know, backgrounds and, and, and how they play the game of baseball. So it's, it's kind of interesting to see how you, how you're looking at it and taking that um, into perspective. Um, so obviously you're, you're back at home. Um, you're taking care of the dog. You're, you're doing a lot of video games. How are you staying in shape for baseball during the COVID-19 pandemic? So I'm probably, with most people who I've seen around here, at least I'm in probably the best cardio shape of my entire life because there's not really much else to do, but run. So I, who would have thought that I would have ever run two miles at a time. I would never have thought that. Um, I remember in middle school having to run a mile before recess every day. And that was the last time I remember being in shape and I was probably, I don't know, 11. And now I'm 22 and never thought I'd be running long distance. And that's what I'm doing now. So that's mainly it, but I'm lucky because my dad, uh, He'll probably not listen to this, but he thinks he lifts heavy. So we have uh, sort of a home gym in the house. So it's nice because I at least have access to some sort of weight room that I can get into and get what I need done. Um, but where my parents live, there's a bunch of trails by, by a lake. So it's nice being able to run. I take the pup. We go on a run. Sometimes my girlfriend goes. She's in way better shape. She played soccer. So she, she, kicks, my, she kicks my butt every time we play or we, we run and so, but I'm working on it and now I'm in pretty good cardio shape, which is a, 
pretty impressive feat if you know who I am. And yeah. any any of my friends who who would talk to me about my running would say that I couldn't run more than a home run trot around the bases without getting super tired. Well, you're kind of used to home run trots, so that's not, that's not too bad. Yeah, but at least you get to jog in those. <laughs> when I'm out running, I try to go a little bit faster than that. <laughs> so I saw a um, kind of like a, a news story on – you know, on baseball in general from your, your local hometown. And they kind of interviewed a little bit. And something that stood out to me was was um, the point you made about off-season training leading up to, you know, you, you jumped right into the professional season at the rookie league level. You had an immediate impact. You did well. You adjusted very well. But then what you kept hearing, what you said you kept hearing was everybody was saying that, yeah, you did well, you know, in your first season, but your first off season, lean it up to your first spring training. That's the real test. That's where you're not ready. You don't know what's going on, blah, blah, blah. So kind of just dive into that and tell me how you, you know, looked past that or blocked that out and kind of prepared yourself for what you thought was going to be the 2020 season. Now we're kind of in limbo. Right. So the place I train in off season, it's in Nashville and there's a big group of guys, not a, like a huge group, but uh, a good group of guys that go out there and train. We got a weight room, a cage, everything you need super nice technology is really superb everything's good so i went out there in i think it was november 8th last year so i went out for the off season to nashville november 8th and i was ready to hit the ground running i got there so i went to instructs a week after the season ended and i was at instructs for six weeks then i went on a cruise and then i went to nashville so i didn't really spend any time at home or anything it was more you know head out to nashville let's get the off season going let's start training now so i got there and i figured okay well I'm just going to start getting after it. I'm going to hit every day, do what I need to do. And all the older guys in there were like, no, like you're not going to do that because you don't need to. It doesn't the, the common phrase around there is it doesn't matter what you do. And it doesn't matter how you hit in November and December, you're working mm -hmm. towards, you know, February, March towards the season. No one, no one gets paid in November and December. Uh, that's where you, you know, you got to get your body right and you get paid with what you do on the field. So, so I trained, just lifting, getting my stretching in, and making my body as good as it can um, for about three weeks out there. And then right after Thanksgiving is when I started hitting. I think we started with a progression of two times a week, then moved up to three, four, five. Um, and it was awesome. Uh, hitting around just a – it was a bunch of older, really good hitters. So I always think that it's easier to get better when you're around good minds and good hitters because they know what they're doing. So if they're doing something right, I'm going to probably try to do that too. So it was just really cool being around that group of guys. I'm pumped to be out there again next year. Hopefully we'll be playing into September, October this year. Maybe they'll extend our season or something. Who knows what will happen. But, yeah, you know, it's, it was exciting to be out there with a good group of guys. So tell me, what's the biggest change that you've had to make both on the physical side and the mental side coming from the college game to the professional game? So physically, it's just all about being ready to play every single day and knowing that you're not going to have an off day uh, at, just right after a three-game series. And I think mentally it's just being prepared for the long bus trips, which in the Appalachian League there aren't too many terrible bus trips, which is nice. But, like, the pitchers are throwing harder, obviously. The, there's nobody throwing really 86, 88 anymore. And if they are, they have a ton of movement and they know exactly what they're doing with it. So it's getting ready for 97, 98. And they know how to pitch you a little bit more because the scouting reports are more in depth. So it's it's just about taking it to the next step and figuring out what makes you go, what your weaknesses are, because I think that's important. A lot of people talk about, you know, what's your strength as a hitter? Know your strength because that's going to carry you. But also 
figuring out your weaknesses and turning them into not as bad weaknesses, not necessarily strengths is what's going to you know, help you move forward too, because you're going to figure out how guys pitch you. You know, I learned very quickly when it's a full count, I'm getting a changeup. There's no more sitting fastball full count anymore. Every single time, for the most part, I'm getting a changeup or some sort of off-speed pitch. So as the season got, got going, I started hitting better in full counts or anything, anything like that. So you know, it's just all about learning and adapting. Because if you try to stay the same, you're never going to go anywhere. Yeah, no, that makes sense, man. So you, you use scattering reports and things like that. Are you using that more often now at the professional level than you did in college? I, I wouldn't necessarily say more often, but I think they're a little bit more accurate. Because in college, it's harder to, to find really good info. But in the pro game, everybody's got cameras everywhere. Everybody's got radars everywhere. So it's, so it's easier to be able to prepare for your next opponent. So in, ter in terms of the scouting report and things that you're, you're looking at to prepare, you know, for the upcoming pitcher, upcoming series, what are some things you personally look for um, in that type of material and that type of content? Basically, I want to know, I want to know how many pitches they throw and I want to know what they think their best pitch is. And that's what I want to know, because if I know that your best pitch is a slider, you're going to throw it. It would, and you can tell real early when a guy knows what his best pitch is because he'll either throw it a few extra times in warm-ups or, you know, won't throw it at all. He'll throw it once. It looks good. All right, he feels it. That means you're going to have to gear up either for the elite fastball or the elite breaker, elite changeup, whatever. So whenever I'm looking at our scouting reports, I want to know what his best pitch is and basically the percentage of when he throws it. Because if his best pitch is a slider and he throws it 40% of the time, well, you can pretty much just go up there and sit on it because he's going to give you one and he'll probably hang it for a get me over at some point. That's awesome, man. Um, so talk to me a little bit about technology and analytics. Um, what are the Royals doing? I mean, you don't have to give me any trade secrets, obviously, but I'm just saying what, are, what is going on at, at uh, your level with the Royals um, in terms of technology and analytics? Is it, is it more or less than you're used to? Um, what are they doing differently if you've done, you know, used analytics and, and, and technology in the past? And then what kind of, kind of an impact did it have on your 2019 season with the Royals? Uh, so it's definitely more. Uh, it's definitely more with the blast motion, with the rap soda, with everything. I mean, every, pretty much every swing we take on a field is tracked. So we can go back and look at our data somehow, which, which is good. I mean, it's never bad to have more info. I kind of sit up right on the right in the middle of the fence on technology because I think it's good, but I also think it can be overused, and I don't think the Royals overuse it at all. Um, but it's also about awareness because you could look at your three blast numbers that you get back and have no idea what they mean, and how is that going to help you? So the Royals, what they're doing a really good job of is they're understanding the numbers and understanding what they mean and how it will translate. So they're able to tell us, you know, based off of your playing – your plane score and your rotation score, you know, if you can get one of them up a little bit more, then it's going to help the ball backspin and take off. So, I mean, that's never a bad thing to find out info like that because, you know, the more backspin, the more torque you create, normally the better the, the better the ball will be. So it's, it's definitely way more than I'm used to, but this off season where I worked out at, we used a lot of technology. So I'm way more familiar with it all now and I'm not as uncomfortable with the blast motion on. I used to be super uncomfortable with it, especially in games, because I, it's just weird holding the bat and having, having something off the end of the bat when you're not used to it. So it definitely took an adjustment period to get there. Um, but the way I look at it, too, is you know, if you have bad, bad blast motion numbers, but you still rake, then continue to rake and do your thing. Because 
technology will only get you so far because at the end of the day, the performance on the field is what, what carries people. So talk to me, like, how do you implement that data that you're getting from the technology into a, your mindset, but then also be into your training. Like what I mean by that is, are you taking one day's worth of numbers and then trying to go make an adjustment? Or are you looking at it over a period of, you know, let's say three to five sessions, a week, two weeks, and then going back and saying, okay, I need to make an adjustment here. Let me utilize this data to, to do this. Kind of give me some, some feedback on that. So normally it would be like, okay, you hit, say it's Monday and you hit with the number or you hit with the blast on, you see what your numbers are. So for me, my playing score is always terrible. I'm always too, too far under it. So that was a big thing I worked on this offseason. So what we would do instead of like the next day hitting and just trying to figure it out and try to feel the plane, whatever, we would go through, you know, the next two or three days of drills that work on, on your plane. And then day four, Thursday, hit again with the blast, blast on, but don't worry about it. Just hit and then see what happens. And then over time, we saw that gradually my plane score got better. But I never wanted to think about it when I was really hitting off of BP or off a machine in the cage. It was always, whenever you're in there hitting, you're hitting. When you're training, you're training. And I always try to take a big, I try to look at that as black and white. You know, when I'm training, I'm doing my work. I need to, you know, work on the drills that I'm working on. I need to master those. But then when I'm hitting, or I like to, I like the word compete. It's like the word I use the most. Like when I'm competing, I'm competing. I'm not thinking about anything else, but beating that pitcher. That's the only thing that I'm thinking about. I like that. Um, talk to me about how you work with your coaches at the professional level level to become a better hitter. So uh, I'll still, I'll never forget my first game. So in college, it, it's, it's not a bad thing, but it's almost like every at bat means life or death. If there's a guy on second and there's nobody out, you you better get that guy to third base. And in pro professional baseball, you need to get that guy to third base too. But uh, my first professional swing, it was a slider in the dirt, and I swung through it, and I wasn't even close to the ball. And I hear from the dugout my hitting coach, Andy LaRoche, and he just goes, out of boy, way to get your hacks off. And I remember thinking, like, wait, he's okay with me swinging and missing at a ball in the dirt, and I, he's not mad at me for swinging at a ball? And I just, from that moment on, I was like, man, so they just want me to like, like the goal here is to hit the ball hard and do the job. Like, that's it. It's not, it's not anything else. It's go up there, get your hacks off, do your job and hit the ball hard. And so from a coaching perspective, everything we do now is just figuring out how to drive the baseball, whether that's in the left field, left center gap, right center gap, wherever it needs to go. And the way I look at it is I'm not going to, do anything ever with my speed because there is no speed there to talk of. So the only way that I'll ever do anything in this game is if I'm driving in runs. So that's what I'm focused on is hitting hard line drives in the gap, basically trying to hit the ball as hard as I possibly can every time. So, and the Royals are on board with that. That's what they want. So every time I'm doing my training, everything's about basically mashing baseballs into the back of the cage. So about how much of your time is spent on the defensive side of the game? Because we're talking a lot about hitting. We're talking a lot about, you know, your mental approach and, and whatnot. But how much of that, how much of your training time, how much of your focus, you know, not, not in, the, in a single day, but just in general in, in terms of training, how much of that time do you spend on your defense? I wouldn't say it's quite half. Like, I would probably say it's more like either 45, 55 or 40, 60 because I try to look at it as, so I play first base, which everybody believes, at least 
at least on my friends, to mess with me. They tell me first base doesn't mean anything, and it's basically the position you put the big fat guy because he can hit. And I look at it as, yeah, maybe a first baseman defensively won't win you any games, but he can help you from losing games because, you know, not everybody makes perfect throws. And if if I can pick a ball, if I can pick two balls, whatever, if I can just keep a ball in front of me and help help prevent a guy from going 90 feet, then that's what I'm going to do. So a proud thing for me is I can do the splits, as most first basemen probably can, but normally you don't see a 6'4", 250 guy being able to get all the way to the ground. So that's uh, something I take pride in. I take a lot of pride in my defense. It's something my dad always, you know, drove home to me as a kid. He always said, you know, if you can play defense, you'll at least have some sort of value if you're not hitting. Because if you're not hitting and you can't play defense, then you're pretty much screwed. But at least if you can play defense, even if it's not as valuable position like first base, then you can provide something to the team. So it's almost like if you're not hitting well, but you're playing defense well, it's something to keep your it's to keep you in the game because when everybody knows when you're not hitting well, life pretty much sucks. It's especially if you're in a big slump, whatever. But if you can, you know, take that away and mentally focus on the defensive side, then it relieves a lot of stress too. Um, and, and I really like that. And the Royals are really good at trying to split it up for guys. Like, they always talk about as soon as you hit the ball and you start running, you're not a hitter anymore. You're a base runner. Like, do your job to get to that extra 90 feet. And it's the same way playing defense. As soon as, as soon as you know, you're not hitting at the moment, you're, you're on defense helping us try to win games on the defensive side. So I, I would say a good amount of time of mine is spent on the defensive side. Awesome, man. So when we first started uh, chatting today, we talked a little bit about you playing video games, your girlfriend's on TikTok, whatnot. Um, <clears throat> with everything that's going on with, with COVID-19, people are at home, um, sports, activities, events, all those things are kind of on hold. Um, how do you see, like, what, what are your thoughts on social media? Um, you're not too active on social media, but you, I mean, you seem to be doing a great job in front of the camera. I'm sure you give great interviews as well. Um, for post-game stuff, but just tell me, you know, give me your, your feedback on social media, how it's affected you. Has it been beneficial to you? Has it assisted your, you know, your career path getting to the professional level of baseball? And how do you think, um, you know, social media is going to interact with, with baseball recruiting and scouting and exposure um, moving forward? So first of all, thank you. Uh, I was a communications major at school, so hopefully I give a good interview. That's pretty much the way that you pass the classes by being able to public speak. So thanks. Um, I think social media is very, very important. And I, though some of the guys that are basically trailblazing baseball, social media are doing such a wonderful job of it. Like, I mean, Trevor Bauer is the guy right now doing that. Amir Garrett's getting up there. And now with all the video games and people streaming it and everything, like their faces are becoming known Their their voices are being heard. And it's really cool because, Everybody knows that baseball is not the most active via social media and everything, but it's getting there. And it's, it's, it's a very important thing because it, that's what brings eyes to the sport. And now that you can stream just about everything, if you can get people streaming baseball games, then all the better for it. Um, and we have some really good guys in the Royals organization that are super, super good on social media. And I kind of look up to them in that aspect because I'm not, it. I don't want to ever I basically don't want to get in trouble every time I tweet. So that's why I try to stay off of Twitter. I don't like anything on Twitter because I don't want to, I don't want to like something wrong and somebody takes it the wrong way because perception, perception is everything um, in life. 
it's like what they always say, it doesn't matter if he was out. It's mattered if he looks like he's out. Now, with replay, that, that doesn't matter. <laughs> That's what they used to say, at least. Um, so I think I'll slowly, especially with this quarantine, become more active with social media and try to, I don't want to call it self-promotion, but just kind of get ideas out there because when you become a professional athlete, you develop a platform, whether you ask for it or not, where people will listen to you um, or they might not, but you'll, your voice will be heard a little bit more as long as you put it out there. And if you have something meaningful to say, people will listen. So that's why I try to, whenever I say something, I try to either make it a little bit funny or have it mean something to me. And guys in baseball are now doing such a better job of, of promoting the game and getting people active, getting kids back into the sport. And it's just really cool. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. It's it's not about, you know, self-promotion. It's about connect, connecting and engaging with an audience like like you just hit on. You know, the professional athlete does have a platform whether you want it or not because you are at a level where a ton of people aspire to be, but not necessarily – everybody not not necessarily everybody gets there right so they're looking to you at an emotional level they want to connect with you they want to know what you're doing on a daily basis they want to know the things that you've been through how you've handled it they want to hear you know stories about you know swinging a slider in the dirt and not getting yelled at by your hitting coach but getting congratulated they want to they want to hear what that's like and, and the experiences that you're that you're going through on a daily basis so i i think especially as we move into, you know, later in 2020 and, and beyond, I think we're seeing that people are creating a name for themselves on social media. And I think baseball players can use that platform and use that opportunity to bring attention to themselves to show what they're passionate about. Like, like you said, you know, whether they like it or not, you know, that's the mindset to have, because if you're enjoying what you're doing, if you're having fun, what you're doing and, and you enjoy what you're talking about, that's what matters is that you're doing it for, you know, the love of the game that you have or the satisfaction that, that it brings you. So it's not necessarily other people's opinions of you. It's, it's, it's about what you put into it. So um, before we, before we wrap up, I just kind of want to ask you some, you know, just some generic baseball questions. Um, what's your favorite drill to do? Well, something that you fall back on, like you're not trying something new, but just, you know, old faithful. Old Faithful is simply just putting a T, the T <laughs> on the inside part of the plate. I put it a little deep, and if I can hit the ball under the back left side of the cage, so opposite field for me, then I know that I can shorten up my swing any way I want. I don't ever try to pull the ball in, in my training because I know I can pull the ball. So I always want to focus on keeping my swing short and staying through the zone. So I know if I can, if I can hit an inside pitch the other way, then like – you know, pretty decently, not just like tipping it and hitting it over there. If I can hit a line drive off the back net, um, then I know that I'll be all right because my swing is short. Uh, what kind of what model bat do you use? What brand? So a few. Um, I don't have a bat deal or anything. Um, so last summer I used Louisville bats. Uh, Louisville sluggers, I used a 318, which I think is the kind of the Yelich model now. Uh, it's a famous model, but Yelich is the main guy swinging it now. Um, this offseason, I got two different brands. I got a Great Lakes bat company. I'm swinging a bigger bat now, so I kind of need more bats. I'm swinging a 35, 34. Jeez. Um, and so this one company, Great Lakes bat company, they're awesome. They're out of I, – I believe they're in Michigan um, because one of my buddies set me up with them a few years ago, and they're awesome. And then I just started swinging these bats called BWP bats. Um, I just got those in last week. They're 
both of those companies do a great job with one customer service and two making it how you want. And they're sick bats. I mean, they look awesome. I'm trying to figure out, I'm pretty sure I'm a black bat guy, but you know, I'm tinkering with some other things. I've got a video of me swinging a pine bat and I don't think it looks very good. The bat looks like it's 40 inches long. Uh, <laughs> so I'll probably stick with the all black. I, I call it the blackout model where it's, uh, it, the logo's black, my name's written in black and everything. I just think it looks sick. That's sweet. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, what about glove? What kind of glove you, you use at first base? Uh, Rawlings. I think it's a heart of the hide. I got them in college. I have like four of them. And um, I, you know, I still have them all, so I don't need to get any. Yeah, you just, you just stick with what works. Yeah, I'll probably, I really, I have a training glove that's from SSK. Um, and I really like that. I really like the leather on it. So maybe I'll get one of those one day. Who knows? It's just kind of like whatever I'm feeling at the moment, since I don't have any, I don't have any obligations to use any one company. So it's kind of nice. I can use whatever I want. Yeah. Well, Vinny, it was uh, a pleasure speaking with you today. Thank you for joining me on the Prospect Dugout podcast. It was awesome hearing your story and hearing a little bit about, um, you know, how you interpret the game of baseball and how you uh, perceive, you know, what's going on and the adjustments that you make. I'm just going to go ahead and close it up. But before we end the podcast, I want to give you the last word, uh, just a little bit of advice to the high school players out there that want to be in your shoes, the, the people that are watching you that want to say, okay, in five years, I want to be where Vinny's at. So let me go ahead and just kind of close the podcast and then I'll flip it back over to you to give us kind of just the final thoughts. All right. Um, <clears throat> so thank you guys for, for watching our podcast guys that are on Instagram right now watching. We didn't get Facebook live set up. I don't know what happened to that. Probably have to go Google that. Um, go ahead and follow us on Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, every platform that's out there. Uh, we've got an account under at prospect dugout, um, audience members. I want to know what your biggest takeaway today was, um, from the interview with Vinny. Um, drop a comment if you're watching on YouTube, if you're watching um, on Instagram, IGTV, uh, Facebook, wherever it may be, drop a comment so I can go back and take a look and, and give you guys some feedback. Um, leave us a review when you, if you listen to this on Spotify, Anchor, uh, Apple Podcasts. We really appreciate the love and, and your, you guys' support. Um, so now, without further ado, just a little final wrap-up. Uh, last words for Vinny Pasquantino. All right, so thanks. Uh, I have one question that I was going to ask a few minutes ago, but we've had this idea that was thrown around to uh, start a podcast, but not necessarily with like the normal people you would think that like other players and everything, but like the people who make things run in professional baseball, like the hotel workers, hearing what they have to say, the GM of the team, the clubby, like anybody like that. What is your opinion on that? Because it's been thrown around. I don't know how to make a podcast, but I know all the people that I would interview if I were to do it. Do you think people would have any interest in hearing from people that aren't players necessarily on the field? I would definitely think that people would have an interest in that because it's, it's a small niche. You may think that it's obscure. You may think it's something that I don't know if anybody would like that. You have an interest in it. It seems like you have a passion for it and you've got this idea. The only way that you're going to find out is if you do it. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thanks. All right. <laughs> Advice from me. Be stubborn, but don't be ignorant is my biggest advice to people. You need to play the way that you need to play, but also listen to your coaches, listen to your friends, 
these are the people that are going to, that have seen you from day one or whatever. And be stubborn about yourself. You know that if you're a power hitter, you need to hit for power. If you're a speed guy, you need to get the ball on the ground and you need to run. So you know that. But also when people come to you and try to give you advice, they're not doing it for their own good. No one, no one goes out of their way to give you advice for their own power. They do it to try to help you. There are so many good, there's so many good people within baseball that they're not doing it selfishly. They're, they're honestly coming to help you. So if you're in high school right now and maybe you, I know the seasons aren't happening, but maybe you're a sophomore who made the JV team or a freshman that made the JV team, whatever, just because you're on that team now doesn't mean you'll finish on the JV team. There's no reason you can't finish on the varsity team. There's no reason if you're not playing that by the end of the season, you won't like, there's no reason you shouldn't be playing by the end. As long as you go in every day, and everybody has, and everybody respects you, then you're going to be fine. So it's be stubborn, don't be ignorant, and every day give it everything you have because you don't really have any other choice. And giving it all is a pretty thing, pretty easy thing to say, but there's so many guys that don't give it their all every day. And it's amazing how it works. You, you get, what, six hours a day to play baseball at most, and that's at the professional level because you're there so early. So – figure out what it will take for you to focus while you're at the field. Cause when you're not at the field, you don't need to focus on baseball. When I, when I'm off the field, I try to separate myself a little bit because it makes it easier for me to, to head back to the field. And there's no burnout there because when I get off the field, you know, I'm Vinny Pasquantino both ways, but there's Vinny Pasquantino, the baseball player, and there's Vinny Pasquantino, the person, and they combine, it's like a Venn diagram but they're also separate and I know how to separate myself from the field. And it's really important to, to help you get better. I think. Wise words, Vinny. I appreciate it. Thank you for joining us on episode five of the prospect dugout podcast. All right. Thanks. All right.